The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, July 7th. Imagine this. You are a parent already heartbroken that your child has a disability. Perhaps your child has autism and is nonverbal and hence more vulnerable. You want to help your child, such as with the educational, behavioral, and adjunct therapies provided through the school system. You are trusting and vulnerable as you place your most precious and beloved child in the hands of those who are relatively strangers. Therapy is one thing, but how can a child who is abused and endangered in their school setting benefit from therapy? How can you ensure safety for your child? I'm Terry Arango with my guests Lori McElwain, the National Autism Association's Chairperson of the Board and Co-Founder, and Phyllis Musimichi, founder of Families Against Restraint and Seclusion. We also hope that Sharon Boyd, founder of Parents in Action, will join us later in the show. Our topic today is Restraint and Seclusion of Special Ed Students in Schools. Lori McElwain, as I said, is a co-founder of the National Autism Association and chairperson of the board. She has an extensive and diverse background in advertising, marketing, public relations, and consumer behavior, working with national, regional, and local accounts. Her fight for a cure began right after her only son, Connor, was diagnosed with autism. And I might add, she's put together just an awesome um, campaign about this issue of uh, restraint and seclusion and how it must stop. Um, Phyllis Musimachi is the founder of Families Against Restraint and Seclusion, FARS. Her advocacy work began four years ago when her own son was repeatedly restrained and put in isolation in her Florida school district. Phyllis has been working on legislation as well as regulatory reform in her home state and testified at a Washington, D.C. press conference in early 2009. Her grassroots organizing has helped parents in many states to unite around this issue. Phyllis is also a member of the Florida Parents in Action, TASH, the Association for Persons with Severe Handicaps, and her FARS organization is a member of the Alliance to Prevent Restraint, Aversive Interventions, and Seclusion. And we hope that Sharon Boyd, will also be joining us soon from Parents in Action. Ladies, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Lori, let's start with the May 2009 Government Accountability Office report. What were some of the primary findings? Well, it was pretty eye-opening. Um, first of all, they, they found no federal laws in place that regulate restraint and seclusion. Um, and the state regulations that are out there, they called widely divergent. Uh, 19 states in our country have nothing. So restraint and seclusion in our schools is pretty much fair game for everybody. 
uh, they revealed 10 case studies, and, and that was within the school districts uh, where children with varying disabilities died. As a result of restraint and seclusion, they were harmed uh, emotionally, physically, uh, a lot of nasty stuff out there, a lot of surprising stories, um, and I recommend definitely opening up this report and reading through it yourself um, because you, you will be surprised at what you see. Uh, and because there are no laws, a lot of the people, a lot of the school employees who abuse these children are still within the school system. So this is a, is a very big problem, and that report definitely deserves a read by every parent who has a child with a disability. It's a very difficult report to read um, from an emotional standpoint because the case studies are so heart-wrenching. Uh, if, if listeners would like to read this report, I believe you have a link to it, a hyperlink to it, um, at your national autism association.org forward slash abuse dot php page. Is that correct? That's right. And they can uh, actually just go to nationalautism.org and the, what we have featured right there at the top of the page uh, is the abuse and restraint issue. And we have a link there. Uh, if you click on that link, you'll be able to get to the report. Right now, ladies, does this differ from other settings? Do other settings such as mental health settings, and I, you know, I even hate to use that uh, terminology um, when I talk about autism because um, I want to see it, you know, taken out of the DSM-IV as a psychiatric disorder. We know it's a whole body condition, but does this differ from other settings? Are there regulations for other types of settings in place? Hi, this is Phyllis. As far as I'm aware, there are regulations um, on a federal level for institutional-type settings, group homes, um, wilderness camps. I know they're looking at strengthening those laws, but I'm not familiar with them uh, to the point where I can speak too much. I just know that there are laws in place, and they are regulated, and um, there is a reporting system put in place. They're not as strict, though, as advocates want them to be. They need to, they need to be cleaned up also. Okay. Yeah, if my, if my child who had, um, say, for example, Asperger's was displaying some puzzling behaviors in a group home, he would be afforded uh, more protection than if he were displaying those behaviors in a school setting. Is that That's correct, yes. And, and my point is the school, the school system should be following the same procedures as the mental health organizations, if not more strict, because they should be setting an example for these kids, starting with early intervention. Mm -hmm. um, what they're doing right now is setting up some of these kids for institutions. Yeah. And, you know, humane and safe is humane and safe in any setting. Mm-hmm. And, and a person's a person. You treat them humanely and you don't endanger them. Uh, ladies, which states uh, do have something in place? Which states have nothing in place? And of the states where there is something in place, is it sufficient enough of the time? Uh, well, I could tell you what states 
don't have any regulations, and, and that's Wisconsin, Wyoming, Vermont, South Carolina, South Dakota, North Dakota, Oklahoma, New Jersey, Nebraska, Mississippi, Missouri, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Indiana, Idaho, Florida, Georgia, and Arizona. Um, I know that Phyllis could really cover this subject a lot better than I can. She's been at this for three years. Uh, I know she has something in place in Florida, but it's not adequate. So, uh, Phyllis. Well, um, what I believe is the, the states that do have something in place, I don't believe that they're following these regulations or whatever they do have in place 100%. Um, because there's there's no accountability. There's no follow-up. There's nobody... Um, overseeing this to make sure that anybody's following these procedures. The police, the school districts police themselves. So we have to take what they're saying um, and believe what they're saying and hopefully that they are following these procedures. My particular state, all we have in place is um, a guideline. The guideline was created by the Department of Education with a team. I was on that team. There was, I think, 26 people. I was one of two parents. There were two mental health people, one attorney, and the rest were all school and DOE people. We came up with a document, released it to the DOE. When it came out about two weeks later, um, there were quite a few changes on it that uh, the team had not made. That document was released to the Florida school districts. We had 67 school districts, and they were told to create their own guideline based on the guideline that was given to them by the DOE. Now, to me, that doesn't make sense. You're going to have a huge amount of room for errors with 67 different guidelines. They need to come up either with one state guideline for each state or one federal guideline, which is what I'd like to see. One federal guideline that everybody follows, eliminating prone restraint, supine restraint, and locked seclusion rooms. Well, many people may not know what some of these terms mean, Phyllis, prone restraint, supine restraint, and why they're dangerous. Not only our listeners, um, but the very, you know, people we're talking about the people who work with our children in the schools. Why don't you explain these different terms to us? Well, the prone restraint is where they take a person down. Um, they can either lift them up or um, put their foot underneath their leg and kind of trip them and take them down that way. And the person is face down on the floor and they put their hands behind their back, and somebody usually holds their legs and their arms and the front of them. Now, in many cases, there have been people that have laid across the back of them, and this causes asphyxiation and can cut off the breathing, and, of course, the person can die. This has happened many times in many facilities, including schools. I don't think that people should be allowed to perform such a dangerous restraint. Some of the people that are performing these restraints are aides that are working for the school districts. 
They're not qualified. They're not medical people. The teachers, they're not medical people. If you're in a, a mental health facility, uh, a patient is reviewed and a doctor or the head nurse will review the person's background and health record and they need to be approved before and after any kind of restraint. And also, they're doing away. Most, most mental health facilities are doing away with prone restraint, supine, and seclusion because they know it's not safe and they know it's causing more trauma to the patient. Now, supine restraint is almost the same as prone except it's face up instead of face down. And the dangerous portion would be where the person doing the restraint would lay across the person's stomach and chest area, cutting off oxygen. The seclusion rooms... Oh, we better pick up with this when we come back, Phyllis. Sure. Thank you. We'll be right back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Ends Medical. We'll be right back on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Welcome back. We're talking about restraint and seclusion of special ed students in schools. We're here with Lori McElwain, Phyllis Musumachi, and Sharon Boyd has joined us. Sharon Boyd of Southwest Florida is mom to five children. Her oldest son, Austin, has been diagnosed with moderate to severe autism. And since his diagnosis seven years ago, she's been very active in the autism community with her main focus on advocacy. She recently founded Parents in Action, PIA Inc., which is an organization that empowers parents through training and mentoring to advocate more effectively for their children. The members stand together at IEP, school board meetings, and when attempting to pass laws at the state and federal level to improve the lives of individuals with developmental disabilities, especially autism. Before the break, Phyllis was uh, telling us what prone restraint is, supine restraint, and Phyllis, you were about to tell us about seclusion. Um, The seclusion is where they can take a child and put them in a room that is locked or unlocked. Usually it's a locked room or somebody stands in front of the door. Sometimes there's a window, sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's a concrete room, sometimes it's padded, and there's usually nothing in the room but the child. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but to me, a seclusion room is the same as solitary confinement. And the last Mm -hmm. time I heard, solitary confinement was used for prisoners not children with disabilities. These kids are born this way. They're wired different. They have sensory issues. And sometimes they cannot maintain in a regular environment. There are things that affect their nervous system, and they need to be helped. I would like to see the school systems create sensory rooms for these kids so that they can go into a sensory room when needed and work out their feelings and emotions and somebody's there to talk them through it if needed, not locked up in a concrete seclusion room where they're isolated, scared, and traumatized. Did a child... A child hang himself in one of these rooms? Yes, he did. That happened, I believe, in 2004. He was 13 years old, and he came from Georgia, and he was in, I believe, um, a special program, and he had been isolated several times. And this one particular day, his teacher gave him a belt to hold up his pants, I mean a rope, I'm sorry, because he didn't have a belt on. And he had told them that he didn't want to go in the seclusion room, that he was afraid to be in the seclusion room, that he was scared, and he begged them. And they put him in it and locked him up, and he took that rope off and he hung himself. Yeah. And that's a couple of weeks after he, he told them that he wanted to commit suicide. Yes, he did. And we were talking about uh, the uh, prone restraint before the break. And, uh, Lori, I believe you were sharing a story about something that happened to a little girl there. A seven-year-old girl, um, the staff had uh, held her down. So prone restraint, she was face down. Uh, So this is multiple staff members. 
they did not realize that she had stopped breathing until they rolled her over. Um, she was blue and limp, pretty much already dead at that point. So, and the reason you know, that she was held down for that one, what she was doing that was so wrong that she needed to be restrained was she was blowing bubbles in her milk and was told to stop. Are there special interest groups uh, from educational-related organizations that think that there's ever a justifiable reason for this kind of, for these kinds of practices? I mean, from what, do they do this because of lack of training for which, you know, do they do this for convenience? Do they say that they don't have enough time or energy to do things right? Or Those are the responses that we're getting, Terry. And I, I have to say, I mean, there are appropriate responses to the things that uh, we're sending out in relation to this issue, and, and there are inappropriate responses. I, I've been a little bit bit surprised at some of the responses from teachers. Um, some would say I'm infuriated uh, that fellow teachers are doing this. It's excessive. It's wrong. Um, but other teachers are writing saying, but we don't have the resources, but we don't have what we need in the classroom, but these, these children are difficult to handle. The appropriate response is abuse is never okay. Putting a child in danger is never okay. You know what, though? We need help. And we're working to get more resources for these teachers. They all need better training. There needs to be universal training uh, alongside these laws. There needs to be oversight. There needs to be cameras in the classroom. Absolutely. Um, and that in itself would prompt somebody to do the right thing. Um, there needs to be a better reporting system. Some of these teachers, they, they don't report abuse until they've, they've left the school district, and that could be two, three years. Uh, so it, it has been surprising to see the reaction from, you know, some of the teachers, and by all means, we're not talking about all teachers. No. Most of them are dedicated, compassionate, but there are a select few who are basically justifying the abuse, and, and that's real concerning. Yeah, well, it's not acceptable to play Russian roulette with any child. Right, a lot exactly. Of what I see a lot of the problem is I've been doing this now for three years, and when I found out that my son had been restrained and put in isolation, I was appalled, and I didn't know that they were allowed to or did this stuff to kids. And what I found out was that it's very common and it happens a lot more than people realize it and then probably to many parents that don't even know it's happening to their children. Right. I didn't know it was happening. I didn't find out until a year later. I should have been aware of the signs because my son was coming home with signs of um, agitation, depression, um, mood swings, things he didn't have before, and I didn't understand what was going on. But the schools were doing this long before I ever found out, and they take these training courses from different companies that teach them how to restrain a child, and they call it therapeutic, mm -hmm. and they convince these school staff 
that this is the right way to do it, this is calming, this will help. So this training goes on year after year. These people believe what they're being trained for and believe that what they're doing is therapeutic. And I think what we have to do as parents and as advocates, as we need to change the culture and the thinking of what these people are now doing in the public school system. Because right, they really and I do think believe something that's really important, as, as Phyllis said, not knowing. Um, my son is functionally nonverbal. When I put him on the bus in the morning, I tell him to have a good day. And when I take him off at the end of the day, I say, did you have a good day? And he says, did you have a good day? And that's the extent of what I know went on at my son's school unless the school tells me otherwise. And that's why the mandatory reporting is so incredibly important. And also videotape to me is incredibly important because I will never know unless somebody lets me know. That's right. Um, and I think any parent deserves to know what's going on with their child in school. And also videotape is not only to protect our children. It's not to hang the teachers. It's, it's nothing like that. It can be used as a teaching tool as well. This is what happened in this situation. How could we do it differently so that it doesn't escalate? But, but instead, right now we need they see to get it as an invasion. proper training for the teachers mm-hmm. and undo the damage that has been done to them. Absolutely. I feel like and they uh, have been brainwashed into believing that restraint and seclusion is okay for our children. Right. And and the thing is we also perpetuate. Um, we had a case in, in Sarasota County um, that we had many staff members of that county sit on the witness stand and say that it is completely acceptable to bop one of our kids on the head with whatever you have in your hand to get their attention. Sometimes you have to do that. And that was an accepted practice that seven different people said, this is an accepted practice because we're just passing on bad behavior. Rather than doing correct training, we are just watching and following examples, and unfortunately some of those examples are the wrong examples to follow. Phyllis, did you say that your son had been um, restrained 89 times? He was restrained 89 times that I know of in 14 months, yes. And we were never notified, not even one time. We weren't called. We received nothing. When I asked for his school documents, there there was nothing in there. When I finally asked for restraint documents, when I found out what was going on, they sent me the documents, and I was appalled. Um, Every line was circled, yes, the parent was notified. Ah! Um, I filed a complaint with the Department of Education, and my school district told the Department of Education that um, we, we were notified, and that they even brought me in and demonstrated PCM restraints on me so that we would be aware of what they were doing. This never happened. And I asked them to give me this in writing, and they said they didn't have anything. Nothing existed. So obviously the school district, whoever reported this to the DOE, lied, and the DOE accepted 
a verbal response from the school district because there is nothing in writing to show that this meeting ever took place, ever. I couldn't even get them to say, tell me, okay, if the meeting happened, what was the date, the time, who did the demonstration, who held the meeting, how many people were there, what were their names, nothing. Because it never happened. But this goes to show you how far they will go to cover themselves and to protect each other. More on this when we come back from break on the Voice of America Health Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in. Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back talking about the very serious and heart-wrenching topic of restraint and seclusion of special ed students in schools. Um, and uh, before we went to the break, um, we were hearing about what can happen to, to children. And if, it, it, if someone at the if school staff whacks our kid, they can whack our kid with impunity. But if we were to you know, slap them on the hand for whacking our kid, you know, someone would call the police on us. So, Sharon, I think you were 
even talking about a point during break about a teacher who moved from one district to another and was able to continue abusing children. Right, absolutely. And it it can be, you can Google this and find this happened. Um, a teacher in our county was under investigation. They can quit during that time and move on. Um, it doesn't follow them that they're under investigation. She went to our neighboring county, was hired, let go within 90 days where they can do that without without giving a reason, so we don't know why she was let go within those 90 days, but we have suspicions. Um, and then she moved on to Lee County, uh, where she went on to abuse two more children before she was finally caught again. That We don't track teachers. It It's not reported that this is happening, that this person has this on their record. They can just leave in the middle of the investigation, and no one knows. Uh, Lori, are there points, are there things that teachers can look for to notice if a child is being abused by another staff member? Phyllis, are there things that parents can look for in their children? I'll let Phyllis go ahead and answer that. Um, yes, especially like with my son, he's verbal but very repetitive and he has a hard time expressing himself. Um, kids that are nonverbal, it's going to be even harder for you to identify. But if you see your child coming home um, with any kind of bruises, of course, take a picture and notify your school and ask questions. At the time this happened, I did not even think to take pictures. I did notify the school and ask them, and nobody seemed to know where the bruises came. And my son would always tell me, I fell down, I fell down. Um, I now know that his he fell down because he was taken down. Right. Um, other signs are depression. If you see that your child is getting dep- depressed or very anxious or doesn't want to go to school for some reason. My son used to love to go to school. All of a sudden, he didn't want to go to school anymore, and I didn't know why. He'd get up in the morning and get dressed for school, and then get undressed and put his pajamas back on. He wouldn't eat breakfast. He wouldn't get in the car. I didn't know what was going on with him. Um, He lost interest. He lost, slowly started losing interest in all the things he enjoyed to do, bowling, uh, horseback riding, going to the beach. All these things just didn't matter to him anymore. Um, Sleep disturbances. He used to go to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock and and sleep all through the night, he would be up until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And then when it would become morning, he didn't want to get up. I wouldn't be able to get him up until 10, 11 o'clock. He became aggressive at home, which we never had a problem with. He became very aggressive. It got worse and worse. These are signs that I would look for. When your child is giving you signs, warning signs, Listen to what he's saying. Maybe he can't verbally tell you, but he may be showing you in other ways. And start looking at those and maybe do some investigation to see what's going on and what's bothering him. And, then and the, follow your instincts. Follow your Because instincts. parents' instincts are usually right. Right. And they try to squash that out of us. You know, uh, they've tried to, you know, socialize our intuition out of us. They've... The school district tries to squash yep. our instincts out of us, and then right. people, Divine, it was it's it's adolescence. 
Yeah, people just, oh, that's just autism. Um, yeah. And then you think, well, is it the med the doctor gave him? Is it this vitamin that I'm giving him? Um, mm-hmm. You know, is, and then people saying it's just autism. So that makes our kids easier prey again because people Absolutely. just fluff it off with, well, that's just part of and autism. And it's adolescents, they will tell you also. Mm-hmm. But parents that, are, are I hear really that starting a lot. to uh, take charge. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, sending microphones and audio tapes. A lot of them are finding very disturbing things. Mm-hmm. Um, we have on our, our website, uh, thanks to a, the group of praise, uh, a sample, no consent form for parents to use, um, basically saying you do not have the right to do this. Um, and you don't have the right to call. I don't want you to call the cops either. Uh, you can very plainly put what you want and do not consent to that restraint and seclusion. Um, you know, this is on the teacher's end of, of this. If you see a, a fellow uh, coworker aggressive with a child in a cafeteria, on a playground, you know, outwardly for everybody to see, chances are that same teacher behind closed doors uh, it's going to be a little bit more aggressive than that. Uh, teachers need to be okay with uh, filing a report, talking anonymously to somebody, going to the to the principal and saying, "This is what I saw." You cannot be scared because if you are, a child is going to get hurt. Right. Uh, so you know, teachers should not be afraid. Age should not be afraid. They shouldn't be waiting two, three years before they finally get the nerve to speak up. How exactly. many children will be hurt by that time? Right. So you that's, also, that's the thing is that teachers about. are very much like um, a registered nurse. We are mandatory reporters, which means if we suspect child abuse, we have to report it. And yet, these things are taking place in school. It doesn't say you have to report it unless it's one of your coworkers. It says you have to report it. You have an ethical and a legal obligation. And so the concern is why is this going on for a long period of time knowing, oh, yes, yeah, she's like that. Why is it going on and we're not mandatorily reporting? Because they sure don't waste time to report us for a bruise on our child. Really, really good point. Well, Lori, what is being done at the federal level? Tell us about Representative George Miller's initiative. Uh, he's been great. He's the one that uh, uh, held the hearings on, on this issue. They've been working on uh, legislation for um, the, the boot camps, for the behavioral modification camps out there for troubled kids. Those aren't regulated either. And what they're doing right now, hopefully, is hearing our stories. We've been asking everybody to write in to everybody on the uh, help, uh, the Education and Labor Committee. And you know, George Miller, in particular, has just really stuck his neck out for our kids. So he needs our full-blown support. Um, hopefully, legislation will be written up soon. Federal legislation. Uh, it's definitely needed. That GAO report uh, spelled that out. It's needed. Hopefully people are listening and our lawmakers will step up. All right, so again to our listeners, there's a link, nationalautismassociation.org forward slash abuse uh, dot PHP, and there are steps uh, given for you to write to your legislators. Representative Miller needs support uh, and backing and corroboration on this issue Every 
citizen out there listening to this radio show right now needs to write to their legislators about how this inhum- these inhumane practices need to stop. Um, would you like to add anything to that, Lori, Phyllis, or Sharon? Well, they can also go to nationalautism.org. It's a shorter URL, and that's our home page. And the abuse and restraint uh, link is right there at the top, top center. Well, ladies, what can parents do if they find out this is happening to their children? Should I think you've alluded to something that sounded like, should we ask for this in the IEPs? I mean, I've told my son's schools in, in general, you know, I don't even want a grumpy employee working with my son. If someone's right. grumpy, uh, if they don't like their job, they don't need to be there. So, right. um, I, I actually had it written into my son's IEP. Um, it says that at no time does a school employee have my permission to restrain my child and that should I find out that it happens, I will immediately be filing um, a police report for assault. And it's written clear in my son's IEP. Well, tell us about the, ex- the experiences of parents who have done these things. What kind of recourse did they have and what kind of results did they see? I know there were some people at the hearings. In Florida, there's no law. So we can write whatever we want, but they can still do whatever they want. I mean, at an IEP meeting, I told the IEP director that was at my meeting, at no time did I ever want hands on my son. And I would not allow them to put that in the IEP, I made them take it out. And her exact response was, well, we're going to restrain him anyway. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, nothing. there's also been some retaliation, retaliation. that has taken there's place. There's nothing we can do. Um, um, the only thing you can you do know, is really... We can't restrain them. So uh, one county down here, we've had a problem with the children getting arrested. Yes, handcuffs and everything taken away from school. I had to pull um, my son out of school because... Um, he had a breakdown, and I had to keep him safe. At the time, like I said, I didn't know, but right now what I would do is um, fill out that letter. We are getting ready to update it again, the no restraint letter, to add um, at no time are they to call the police that if there is an emergency to call certain family members. So we're going to give them... Um, all the information they need at the school level so that they wouldn't have to put hands on and wouldn't have to call the police. We want to take all those uh, away and give them some positive ways to handle our children, even if it means calling a family member and having a family member come pick the child up. Right. And, I mean, just one, one quick point on this is that we live in a society that, I mean, I love my dogs dearly, absolutely do, but my dogs have more rights than my son does as far as protection. Um, prisoners at Guantanamo Bay have more protections under the law than my son does in school. Um, at least somebody will investigate and not somebody from the same exact department that he's injured by if he was a prisoner or if he was a dog. But because he has autism and he can't control his behavior, he's fair game. Right. And something about that has got to change. Right. Very discriminatory. We will be right back. 
America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Lori McElwain of the National Autism Association, Phyllis Musumachi of Families Against Restraint and Seclusion, and Sharon Boyd of Parents in Action. We're talking about restraint and seclusion of special ed students in school. And um, just to give you some uh, website addresses again, nationalautismassociation.org and familiesagainstrestraintandseclusion.blogspot.com. You can find some resources there, including sample letters at the National Autism Association website, um, a letter to send to federal lawmakers and to make telephone calls, a sample letter to send to state lawmakers, and make telephone calls. Um, the states with no regulations in place are listed, and it's very important um, for everybody to please do this to protect the children. Well, ladies, what is the importance of networking? Networking is so important because it helps you get the word out and helps you spread it all across the United States. Absolutely. I, I think it's also a matter of um, tried to convince you like to think that, that my son's wow, I'm the only one. an isolated incident. Right. And through networking, I found about 150 
Florida parents that this was happening to, and then it started um, to spread throughout the United States, and now I have contacts all over. Laura, you were talking about a, a girl with cerebral palsy and autism while we were on break. I was just going back to Sharon's point about how they, they end up either in different school districts or even within the same school. And this little girl was uh, with leather straps uh, tied to a wooden chair. Um, and she was uh, obviously emotionally traumatized, but she was abused. Um, hit. Uh, the, the school board found that they were not liable because they didn't have the training and the supervision. So the, the teacher still works at that school. Wait, uh, wait, wait, what? They're not liable because they don't have training and supervision? No training and, and, and no supervision. And another case where you know, a, a, a little boy, uh, well, he's 14, he was um, face down. A 230-pound teacher sat on him. He died. Uh, this was in Texas. The teacher currently teaches in, in Virginia. So it's, you know, it's a problem all over, and we, we definitely need those cameras in the classroom first and foremost, along with this uh, federal regulations and better reporting system. This is just a, a nationwide crisis. Uh, we're seeing more kids being handcuffed, more kids duct taped. We're hearing stories from everywhere of this happening, and our kids are getting bigger, and it's only going to get worse unless we uh, do something to make it better right away. But you're saying okay. this is happening to smaller children as well. You're saying yes. la large staff members are sitting on light children in right. Palm Beach it, County. There's no reason for us to have to. I, I don't think don't I'm sorry justify, this is right. forceful, but I don't think in Florida or in the United States, we should have to pass a law that says you don't sit on children. Right. But unfortunately, we are actually at a point that we have to pass a law that says you may not sit on a child. Or hit them. It's disgusting. Them. It makes no sense. And, but teachers can, yeah, teachers can take this into their own hands. They don't need a law to say if you use a restraint, it should be documented. You know, if you're not trained to use it, don't use it. In, um, right. you in know, Palm Beach it's, County, they are, my district is restraining children in pre-K. That's three, right. prone restraining. That's three and four years old. Right. There actually was a child up in Port St. Lucie that was restrained. And technically, by the rules that they're working on, it would be okay because you can restrain with because of property destruction. But the property destruction was he was breaking his crayons and he ripped up his paper. Oh, gosh. So if just because it says on paper property destruction, imminent danger, it's left open to interpretation. My son's swinging at himself. Somebody may read that as imminent danger. However, he's not going after them. So it's way too open, way too broad. We have to protect these children. I like how one professor put it. He, he said, many restraints are, are little more than assaults on weaker people. And especially when you have a nonverbal child, uh, you know, the, the case out of Atlanta was just heart-wrenching. Those parents sent in an audio tape. They heard those teachers smack that child over and over, and he couldn't say anything back. All he could do was run after each hit. And they actually 
called it a be a be quiet hit. Do you need a be quiet hit? Uh, this is just it's it's it boggles my mind how this can continue to go on. Um, definitely need cameras in the classroom to prevent all kinds of abuse, um, and, and the laws need to be in place so that it is the line is defined because right now there is no line that's defined, and the teachers are finding themselves in situations where they are crossing that line left and right. So we need to have these laws in place at the very least. I bet there's going to be districts that balk at the expenses of training and cameras and things like that, but we at least need to have the laws in place of, you know, just the self-evident stuff of, that you don't endanger the children. They're going to get sued. If, if, if they abuse a child, they're going to get sued, and that's a money loser too. So they have to install uh, those cameras in order for everybody to be safe, including themselves. If I were a teacher, I would want uh, that oversight because well, you never one know. One of the things you here in Florida, because Phyllis has been working this so hard, had an amazing bill that was presented and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that would have taken care of the prone restraint, which would have put really good, stringent guidelines on what we're supposed to be doing. And they did. The the complaint about it was the cost. Um, I think that according to IDEA, our children are supposed to be taught by highly qualified professionals. So isn't that money already in there to be training them? So it really should be have no fiscal impact on them at all. But the sad thing about the whole incident with the bill was the cost that they put on the bill were really fabricated. They weren't even costs that were legitimate. Good point. And our bill did not move. It did not How move. can a bill that says you cannot hurt children not move? Not move, yep. Well, one example of, of where the funding comes in, uh, there was a nine-year-old boy in New York public school, and he was uh, secluded 75 times over a six-month period to the point where his hands became blistered from trying to escape. He had urinated on himself. And the jury awarded that family $1,000 for each time he was put in that room. So, you know, schools could either choose to give it to one family um, after they've been sued, or they can choose to put it towards keeping all the children safe. Right. I don't want money after the fact. I want my kid to be safe before the fact. It's like when people say that we're trying to win some sort of lottery to get recoup resources to restore our children's health, um, we're not trying to win a lottery. No parent wants their child to be harmed in the first place. No. Absolutely. He trusts you know, Our therapy goes out the window. Our ABA, your, our your early therapy. intervention is going, and your therapy is going right out mm -hmm. the window. Yeah. Because if they're teaching them all these coping skills, and the therapy in the younger grades, and then as they get older, they start restraining them and locking them in seclusion room, that therapy isn't going to do them any good. No, you don't have cognitive success with a dead child. No, no. not much. Lori, well, how do we handle the regress? They really do. They regress after this type of emotional and physical trauma. Well, Lori, contact information for you? Uh, you can write me at lori at nationalautism.org. Phyllis? You can email me at cvm514 Yes? Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. cvm514 at bellsouth.net 
or you can also contact me at my blog site. All right, and Sharon? Uh, you can email me at parentsinaction, P-I-A, and yes, that is what it means, at yahoo.com. All right. Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Our listeners about this crucial topic. Um, Next week, we'll be chatting with Dr. Lauren Underwood about published literature that supports biomedical interventions for autism. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, for questions about this show. Please email me at taranga at autismone.org. And thank you to our listeners for joining us at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.